Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Hey, and welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. And you know, one of the things I find really important when you're an entrepreneur is knowing how to communicate. And sometimes we forget. We all think, well, I learned to talk when I was one years old. I can communicate. You know, not a problem. But today's guest, today's guest is a legitimate, not not kind of one of these like, yo-ho, look at me, I'm a communications expert, a legitimate communications expert. She actually has a textbook that she's written on the subject, and she has worked with the government. She's done all kinds of things. So I am excited to have Jill Schiffelbein here with us today. Jill, welcome to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Nah, this is great. I've known Jill for a couple of years, and I've wanted to have her on the show for some time, and I'm glad that the stars lined up because I think she's going to bring some really interesting tidbits about her entrepreneurial journey and some great advice to share with everyone who's listening. So, Jill, I introduced you as a legitimate communications expert. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you do in your business and a little bit about your background? You know, I appreciate that, Tom, because there, I mean, there's a lot of people out there who talk about being communication or leadership or, you know, et cetera, et cetera, experts. And I think in the entrepreneurial world, that word expert is often overused and abused. And, you know, for me, it's been an interesting journey. I taught at a university for 11 years in the communication department, business communication, did the textbook, did the consulting, that whole nine yards. The coolest project, I think, that I've gotten to do uh, you know, in terms of strategy to this date, is I actually got to work with the West Point Counterterrorism Unit to help provide counterterrorism strategy based on flow of information and communication messaging in jihadi media camps. Now, talk about a, a mouthful, <laughs> but it was a blast. And I learned a ton about it and learned how to reverse engineer processes. You know, you have to be able to build people up and break things down from time to time. So I just spun all of that expertise into the business that I have now, the Dynamic Communicator, and I do communication strategies and really focus on helping businesses um, acquire and retain clients, and especially in the software space, get those usage and adoption rates up. So did you always work for yourself, or did you actually have one of those you know, traditional corporate jobs like right out of school? Well, I, don't, I did have some traditional corporate jobs, but I actually had a long stint in academia, so I joke I'm a recovering academic, and that does flavor how I approach things, but I'm very big on education, but applied education, and I uh, worked as a faculty member and an, an administrator, and then in 2011, I cut the full-time cord and said, I'm doing this on my own. So what led you to do that? I mean, I know a lot of people who work in the you know college world in academics, and it's really hard to go from that world to being sort of a solopreneur. How were you able to, to do that? What inspired you and, and what took you on that journey? Um, to be completely frank about it, I was in a position where I helped bring in, in about an eight-month period of time, over a million dollars of additional revenue into the university. And because I don't have the letters PhD behind my name, they would not advance me. I had hit a glass ceiling at the age of, um, at the time it was 27. I was in the highest position I was ever going to be in according to this structure. And that was not acceptable to me at all. And that they don't, uh, and where I was at, didn't see the value of 
what I was bringing to the table. And I think that's true in many corporations that lose really good, talented employees because they're not valuing them in a way that makes people want to stay and be retained. So let me let me jump in and tell you a quick story. I actually was the marketing director for a law firm and for the Austin and the Dallas offices. And I actually asked for a raise after having been there a couple of years. And actually, I had done a lateral transfer from another firm as part of sort of a pseudo merger. And so I hadn't had a raise in almost four years. And so I asked for a raise and the administrator of the firm actually said, and he, now granted he was not an attorney, but he said, if I was to give you what you're asking for, you'd make more than some of our lawyers and that would be highly inappropriate. And yet he made more than some of the lawyers, but he wouldn't pay me more because he thought it would take me up over to like what a second or third year attorney would make. And he said, that's not appropriate. So I in turn quit. And the lawyers the lawyers asked me why I quit because they liked working with me. And I said, because you won't pay somebody without a JD, you know, a competitive salary for someone who does what I do. It's I mean, it's the exact same in the academic world. And no matter how much revenue you bring in or how highly you're rated as a faculty member, how many awards you win. If you don't have PhD behind your name, it doesn't matter. And same for you in the JD case. And I think it, those type of strict guidelines and limitations that are a bit antiquated, let's be honest. I think that's how a lot of people end up in entrepreneurship in some way, shape or form. Now I had a vision for it long before that, but a lot of people are forced into these situations because they demand to be respected. So was it scary to make that leap? I mean, I would think that working in academia, it's got some security to it. <laughs> you know, I had some security, the benefits. I will probably never have benefits like that again. And man, some days I really, really miss those. But it was simultaneously the most empowering, exciting, and terrifying thing I believe I've ever done. And I've swam Alcatraz with, you know, sharks in the cold water. And no, this leap was way worse. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you made the leap. And then how did you structure your business? So tell us a little bit about your company today. Well, when I first started out, uh, the company I have now that I focus on, the dynamic communicator for my B2B sales, uh, didn't exist. And I actually started out under the umbrella of impromptu guru, focusing on helping people speak well anytime and every time. So that put me as a speaking and presentation coach. It also put me as a trainer uh, within organizations. And then also in terms of teaching faculty members how to communicate well via technology to help online education prosper. And it was fun. It was great. But I really craved some of those more in-depth strategy assignments like what I did with the counterterrorism stuff. So I decided to put Impromptu Guru as my B2C brand where I'm really selling to consumers, individuals who want products that can help them get better in presentation and communication skills and then focus the dynamic communicator on um, the B2B, the corporate side, getting in for that strategy. So tell us about then that, that B2B side. You know, I really like being able to go in and look at an organization as a whole. A lot of times companies will bring me in thinking, oh, she's the communication expert. Let's get her to help us with our messaging or our presentation. And a lot of people jump to those two things when they think of communication. But in essence, communication is so much more broad than that. Um, an example, a software company brought me in um, the sales engineering department thinking we need people to train our sales engineers in presentation skills because they're client facing more than they used to be. So, well, that's great, but let's look at the bigger picture. And after sitting down with them for an hour and a half, asking a lot of questions, 
Turns out the sales engineering team is having a struggle because the sales team that they're partnered with had the highest turnover rate in the entire organization. So there's a problem there. And then we were getting to their clients, especially for the retention, um, the renewal calls. They're finding out that the support team is still communicating to an IT-based end user instead of a marketing-based user. And with cloud-based solutions, a lot of software companies go through this. So in order for the sales engineer to do a better presentation, there's two other problems in a company that need to be fixed simultaneously. Otherwise, you're just slapping a Band-Aid on the problem. And I don't like to slap Band-Aids on things. <laughs> so you've been doing this now, if I'm doing my math correctly, for five years? Yeah, it's coming up June uh, June of this year, uh, 2016 will be my fifth year. So I'm about to hit seven years working for myself and, and sort of chasing nice. my own path in the world. So you're, there's some legitimacy that comes with making it five years, right? I think so. I really think, you know, you make it, my litmus test for me was, can I make just as much, if not more, working for myself than I did working full-time for somebody else? And um, every single year I've been able to hit that. So on one level, I'm like, yay. And on the other level, I think, oh, my gosh, I still have so much more I can do and so much further I can go. But every step of the way is a huge learning experience. And, you you know, you make some judgment calls that don't happen to be right. But if you're not making mistakes, you're not trying hard enough. Well, and being a solopreneur is hard because I think that is the first thing that many of us do when we leap out is we say, can I make what I made in corporate America? And, and once after a year or two years, or in my case, it was three years, you stabilize that income at sort of the same level you were making. Then the next goal is, can I double what I made? Yes. <laughs> and and, and that's, it's, a hard, it's a hard road, but that's the thing. So many people I know who are solopreneurs, they get stuck on that first level. And that's why I have this uh, coaching group that I just started called the Cool Things Project, because so many people, when they're starting out, they think, you know, they think one way because they looked from the outside, they came from academia or they came from a regular job and they think, oh, all I got to do is get to there. And then it's like being on a hamster wheel. And so that was the big thing for me. It's like, okay, can I make twice as much? And I'm sure as soon as I'm, I'm now focusing in on that, as soon as I cross that, it's like, can I make four times as much as I did in corporate America? And that's, I started this group so that we could get people together to just talk about what is it? to be a solopreneur, even if you're working for inside a company, but you feel like a solopreneur, what is it to get all these things done? So, you know, what is it though, that you've been doing now for five years? What is it about this new life you've created that you absolutely love? Oh my gosh. Well, I want to answer that question, but one thing that you said just spurred a thought, and I think it's important to share with this audience is that when I first started this business, I was hanging out with a lot of other people who were amazing, genuine, awesome people, but their goals were not the same as mine. There's a lot of people that dabble in entrepreneurship, but they have another source of income, maybe a spouse or maybe a side job or something. And what I found after about a year and a half, it took me to realize this is that if you really want to grow your business, you need to surround yourself with people that are playing at the same level or ideally at a higher level than you. And don't doubt that you can't add value to those communities just because someone's making five or six times the amount that you are. If you have something that's a value to them that they lack, there's great collaboration that can take place. And that's one of the mistakes I think I made early on was thinking, oh, I'm not playing at their level yet. I'm not going to approach them yet. Forget that. Approach those people. Well, and you, you're right. Approaching people who you know can kind of help pull you up along the way. But even then, people at your own level who are maybe starting out or just struggling through it, but who are willing to let you talk about what are your goals and your aspirations? Because so many times in our society, you know, nobody wants to talk about that. It's the old lobster story. They, I don't know if this is actually biologically true, but they say you can store lobsters in a box with no lid. 
because as soon as one lobster tries to crawl out the wall, another one will grab it with its claws and pull it back in because the lobsters don't want to see anybody escape. So they, they hold everybody back in. And I don't know if that's a true analogy, if it really is that way in nature or not, but I love the thought of it because I saw a lot of that when I left corporate America. People were like, well, you know, you can try it for six months, but, you know, maybe you should start looking for another job at the same time. There were just a lot of people who had limiting beliefs. And when you get around people, whether they're above you or or below you or with you on the ladder, people who are going to let you share those ideas and let you think really big, I think that's so important to that success. I think it is too. And I think the other thing that I found instrumental too is being around people where I can have honest conversations about money and not feel bad about either the fees that I'm charging or feel that, oh my gosh, I am not doing enough. But just to have candid conversations, it's such a taboo topic in so many circles. But ever since I've gotten a group of people who will talk frankly about fees, about money, about contracts, and all those things that some people shy away from, it's amazing the change that it's done for my business. Well, and it's good, I think, for you as an entrepreneur who's who has to be able to talk these things through. The other thing is, is that I think we lie to ourselves a lot about money. And so when we have to go and be honest to other people, we have to be a little bit more honest with ourselves. But I've found just in working with a lot of people, and there's a lot of people out there who sort of inflate how well they're doing. I mean, I know you through the National Speakers Association, and we've <laughs> both been really active there. And, you know, some of the people you meet there, it's you ask them what they're doing, and they, they, they rattle off numbers. And if you know the business, you know it's not possible. And so, you know, sometimes you meet people, and the joke is when you meet someone for the first time, maybe you have to take their success and divide it by two and minus one to get to sort of the reality. But I've found when you get around people who are just willing to say, Here's how I'm doing it. And that might be a million dollars a year and that might be $20,000 a year. But when you get around people who are honestly going to talk about it, I think everybody wins. Right. And I think, you know, to answer the question that you were leading towards earlier and complete transparency here, 2015 for me was the worst financial year that I've had in my business. I had um, some health things. I had a major change. I decided to uproot from very cost of living affordable Arizona to move smack dab in the middle of Manhattan in New York City, a little bit of a change. <laughs> and you know what? On the financial side, my business suffered for it. But you asked me what I love about what I do. And it's that when you are working for yourself, even if you have a crappy year, a crappy month, whatever it is, you still have the power to make decisions for yourself and leverage your own abilities. And so while it may have been my worst financial year, I have more network capital now than I have ever had before. And it's already paying off huge, you know, including, as you know, Tom, last year I got discovered, if you will, by Entrepreneur Network of Entrepreneur Magazine Media Company. And from that, because of networking my butt off, I landed a contributorship and now I'm doing paid work in different capacities for them. And it's amazing when you're not so focused on comparing yourself or what I'm doing and what I'm not doing or where I need to be, but you just focus on building your network and doing what you're best at. You love it. And I genuinely love figuring out strategy problems. I love speaking in front of audiences, talking to them about ways to solve problems or anticipate communication challenges. And the day that I walk onto a stage or walk into a company and I don't feel a little bit of nervousness, anxiety, or apprehension, quite frankly, means that I don't care enough and I need to not be on that stage or at that business that day. And I've never once encountered that because it's just a love of what I do and a love 
of the flexibility and decision-making power it gives me. Well, and you talk about the fact that you decided to leave Arizona and move to New York City. I mean, there's a lot of people who that would be so scary to just uproot and and start themselves over and especially, you know, probably double the cost of living and, and everything else that goes with that. But that's the advantage to kind of creating your own path in the world is you can do whatever you want and then you've got to figure out how to make it fly. Exactly. And it's, you know, my success hinges on me not on anybody else. You know, I I have a good friend who once said, I do not take responsibility for anything for which I do not have a corresponding amount of authority. And um, I love that phrase. And it really made me think about all the decisions I've made in my life. And I will own everything I've done well and everything I have not done well. I have no problem owning up to it. But in all of those situations, the things where I did not have a corresponding amount of authority were things that ended up frustrating me and, you know, sucking my soul out to, you know, to be blunt and well, to now create a life where that is not a concern, where I do have that corresponding amount of authority is awesome. God, I think that that last three or four sentences probably sent chills up and down the spine of so many listeners because I think we all can relate to that. But Jill, come on, you've made this change. You've gone for it. You're five years into it. You absolutely love it. Are there things about it where you think, oh, God, I hate this. I wish I had stayed at academia. You know what? On on the struggling days or the days where you work your butt off to get a proposal out and you know you'd be the best person for the job and it just doesn't come through and you're looking at your bills and, you know, the debt is piling up and the income is going down and you're thinking, God, some days it would just be a lot easier. And I think all entrepreneurs have days like that. But in the end... If it's in your blood, it comes back to what do I have control over? What am I willing to give up or sacrifice to maintain that control and decision-making power? Um, And what do I really believe in here? If you truly, honest to goodness, believe that you have value to bring and you are not bringing it, then that's on you. And that's not a good place to be. So I want to make sure that what I have to offer the right companies, the right individuals, the right clients, and even nonprofit, you know, pro bono work that I am able to execute that and not be held back by another structure. So Jill, I've got more questions for you. But first, I got to thank our sponsor. So this episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training and guidance to ensure that you're going to sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can focus on creating great content and growing your audience. Now, if you want to start a podcast, they have an offer for the listeners of cool things entrepreneurs do. You just have to visit podfly.net slash cool things and see what they have to offer. And I also recommend if you have questions, call them because they have been really good, not only to me when I was starting this show, but to everyone I've sent their way. They've been really good. I get notes from people or calls from friends who say I called Podfly and, you know, for whatever reason, they chose them or they didn't chose them, choose them. But they said, gosh, working with them has been fantastic. So I can't say enough about them. And I really, really am grateful for the fact that they sponsor this show and that they've believed in me for the time that we've been working together, which is now about 18 months. So thank you, Podfly. And I encourage you all to jump over there. So Jill. So awesome. Like I I know that was, you know, a, a sponsorship thing, but for real, isn't it so cool to be in a space where 
we can advocate for other companies whose entrepreneurial spirit just freaking rocks it. Oh, I mean, I, I was long before they agreed to sponsor my show and, and help me grow this. I, you know, I, I was telling everybody how great they were, which is one of the reasons, you know, kind of off the off the record to everyone who's listening. I sent them a lot of paying clients and it's like I wasn't getting anything out of it. And so then, you know, we came to an agreement that they'd help sponsor the show. But, you know, my thing is I do that with other speakers all the time. I tell every single client that I have, please ask. Ask me next year if you're trying to come up with ideas for speakers, come to me and let me help vet people for you or let me refer you to people I've seen who are just awesome. And so often the meeting planner says, wow, I've never had another speaker so passionately want to recommend their friends to me for next year. You know, sure, give me three or four names. And very often those people get hired. Sometimes they don't because they have their own list and everything else. But it's so funny that when I talk to speakers, every speaker I talk to says, I do that too. And yet every meeting planner or most meeting planners I talk to go, speakers never do that. So I think, I think a lot of people have int- intentions that mm-hmm. they want to help other people. They want to brag on other people. But then we get caught up in our own life and we get so busy with our own to-dos and trying to close our own deals that we forget to say, you're looking for a speaker. You got to know Jill Schiffelbein. You want communications. She's not some you know, wannabe. She's a guru. You know, she's a real honest to goodness legit communications person, well, that takes no time to tell people that. And yet so many people are like, oh, hire me again. So it's funny that you say, you know, it's great to do that. I I try to do that every single day. And I hope I do that on this show. Well, you just did for me because I'm going to take that clip and put it places. (laughs) (laughs) Just over and over, kind of like on on a repeat loop on your website. Right. If I can put a GIF image with it, too, so it's funny and, you know, it catches on, that'd be fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jill, what advice do you have for somebody who maybe feels that they're stuck in their job because they don't have the, the right letters behind their name and they're never going to get the next promotion or whatever it is and they want to go do something? What advice do you want to give somebody who, who wants to follow in your footsteps? You know, here, here's the first thing. I would say really look inside yourself and look at your life situation and understand that if you're going to embark on the solo journey, there will be ups and downs. And I think all the downs are well worth it. Others don't. And knowing yourself and if you have the capacity to handle the roller coaster ride, I think that's very important because not everybody does. And quite frankly, there have been times where I doubted my ability to handle it. You know, clearly I've weathered through, but it's scary. Um, But it's also amazing. Let me not lie about that either. The other thing is, if you feel stuck at your job, feeling stuck isn't in itself a good enough reason to go out on your own, especially because there's other places that you could be employed. Where you should go out on your own, in my opinion, is if while you're in your job, you keep thinking there is something that I am very passionate about that I'm also damn good at, and I know it can add value to others, whether it's individuals, organizations, companies, whatever it may be. So you have to be passionate about it. You need to be damn good at it, and it needs to add value to others. And if you know what that is within yourself, then that's a really good reason to start thinking about taking that jump. But have that identified because if you do make the leap and you truly don't have those three things, um, especially the desire and the passion and the belief in your value, then it's not going to last in the long run. And you really just have to believe that to your core. 
So I have found that, you know, being an entrepreneur, especially being a solopreneur, I found it to be a little bit lonely having come out of, you know, big corporate. I was the marketing person for a law firm and a bank and a consulting firm. And before that, I had done sales for a bunch of different companies. And I kind of find that, you know, marching out on your own can be a little bit lonely. So how important do you find networking is at being successful in building your business? You know, I think there's a difference between networking and relationship building. And I just want to say that up front because a lot of people, when they hear networking, they think going to events and collecting business cards and meeting other people. And a lot of people, to a lot of people, that is networking. That's not networking. No, networking. in fact, in fact, I'm going to I'm going to jump in here and say that that's the biggest problem in business lately Ugh. is that the word networking has been bastardized and yes. taken away. And it's sort of now in people's mind, they think schmoozing. The other day I was on an association website and somebody who was attending their conference for the first time said, what advice do you have? And somebody said, don't network. And they went on to, you know, bash networking. And yet the definition of networking is really creating long term and mutually beneficial relationships between two or more people where everybody involved is going to succeed more because of those relationships than they would without. Nowhere in that definition is there shove business cards down each other's throat, be salesy, trick people. So I think we have to start when we talk about this from that, that we're, when I talk about networking, I'm talking about long term and mutually beneficial relationships. Right. And I like to think of it this way when people confuse it with, you know, unfortunately, and I love how you said it, the bastardization of the word that we have now. Think of network in terms of net worth, right? Your net worth is an accumulation of all the different parts of your life that add to this bottom end financial figure, right? Same with your network, all of those people and the relationships you have in your life add to the bottom line of your success as an entrepreneur in business, whatever. And I think it's, it's so important, especially when you're just getting started, to not only network with the idea of, you know, this, I'm, getting, I'm building relationships to get business, but I'm building relationships to support my business. And if you go in with that attitude, when you network, you are building relationships to support your business and you're not defining what that support is. Could someone end up as a client? Sure. Could they refer someone to you? Sure. Or could they just be that exact friend, mentor, colleague, teammate, whatever that you need to really get yourself out of, um, you know, a mind freeze? Absolutely. And for me, the first year was so hard because you're used to being around people and then you're sitting at your home office in many cases. Then I'd start to put myself at coffee shops, but I wasn't having meaningful conversations about business and life together. And when you find those people, I have about five people that I text message with throughout every day because they're like my colleagues. They're in the same boat as I am. They're solopreneurs or owners of very small companies or boutique consultancies. And they're doing the same types of things that I am in relative isolation. And we just support each other like you would be with your colleagues walking by your cubicle. So that's awesome. I mean, I, I like you, I have a mastermind group and I do the same thing. A week doesn't go by where I'm not in touch with somebody from that group because, you know, it's kind of like having a little informal board of directors. If I have an issue, I ha always have somebody that I can turn to. It is. And I think it's important to cultivate those relationships and those will develop and grow over time. And your brutal honesty with each other will grow over time as well. 
But to start finding people who can identify with the lifestyle that you have is important because when you have a lot of friends who are all in nine to five jobs and they don't understand why you on the weekends aren't out doing your errands or going and running around because Let's be honest, you can wake up at nine in the morning or or not wake up, but go out at nine in the morning on a weekday when no one else is in the grocery stores, get your groceries, come back home and work and not have to do all that crap on the weekends. Heck, you could wake up at nine in the morning if you want to. You could. You could. And you know what? Today, actually, today was a 10 a.m. day. You know, let me let's be honest. You, you wild, you wild Manhattan people. You wild New Yorkers. I know. I didn't go to bed till three, if that makes it any better. But (laughs) so, Jill, I call the show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. So what is the coolest thing you're doing with your business right now? Oh, my gosh. Um, To me, the coolest thing I'm doing with my business is I just submitted the most arduous proposal I've ever done. And it is to a major publisher for what will be hopefully a seminal book in my life and in my business. I've done the academic textbook and done that proposal at a large publishing house. I've done the self-published book. But to have something that's in the non-academic space that will be on airport shelves and at Barnes & Noble and all of these places and will be heavily publicized, that to me is kind of the pinnacle of what I want to be doing right now. And just uh, a couple weeks ago, I finally submitted that proposal and it's in review now. And every day I'm just, ah, are they going to call? Are they going to call? You know, I'm I'm kind of like waiting for a a first date to call me back or something. I'm anxious about it. It's uh, it's very exciting. If they're smart, they're going to call you back and all of us are going to be lucky to walk through the airport and go, Jill Scheffelbein, we know her. She was on Cool Things. Let's buy that book. Yeah, and then take a picture of it and tweet it to me at Dynamic Jill. That'd be fantastic. <laughs> so, Jill, I think that great entrepreneurs are really observers. And so I love to ask the people on this show. So, Jill, I love to ask the guests on this show who it is that they see outside of their own company who's doing cool things. Because in addition to being great entrepreneurs themselves, I think that the best entrepreneurs are observers. So who do you see that's killing it? You know, one company I see that is killing it right now, and I'm so excited for them, is Zoom. Um, Zoom Zoom.us, I think, I have been a relatively, not beta tester at all, but a relatively early adopter um, to their professional subscription program. I've used Zoom. It's a video conferencing software a ton. And to see some of the things they're doing, some of the outreach they're trying to do, some of the ways they're trying to educate people about the different ways to use their product, I think that's really inspiring. And the other thing is this, and this is why specifically I'm naming them. I use their product a lot, and I had a technical issue, and it was my fault. I did not realize it at the time. It was an unintentional error, but um, I lost a couple of recordings, and I needed these for a project I was doing. And the way I was using the software, it was my fault. It was user error. But I contacted them, and over a period of two weeks, it took two weeks of their time, too, to resolve this, and I had constant communication with their support team. I was just astounded by how efficient it was and how clear and honest it was. We were able to work it out. They were able to find the recording. Um, metadata. Long story short, they were able to rescue these recordings. 
And I was so ridiculously happy. So, of course, I filled out the surveys, but then I also posted something on LinkedIn and Twitter about it. The next day, the CEO of the company, the founder, the creator of the company is messaging me on LinkedIn and we're having a conversation about what else can be done in the technology space. And I have a phone call with them, um, what is it, next week to actually talk more about. Not a phone call, a Zoom meeting. (laughs) I think that whole example is just killer when you have a product, you have the support team in place, you have the communication, and that's the biggest freaking thing. And you know, that goes back to what I do. But it's, it's so true when you have the efficient, the transparent, and the responsive communication, and even proactive communication, you're going to retain your clients, you're going to get happy clients. And that's a company that I think is killing it on that front. Well, um, and I love the fact that it's one thing if somebody's unhappy if the CEO reaches out, but it's something else if somebody tweets, hey, this was great, and the CEO takes it upon himself to reach out and, and learn a little bit more. I mean, from my standpoint, that is a cool entrepreneur. I think so. So when you talk to him, ask him if he'll be a guest on my show. I will. I will. He, I, I, haven't, I haven't gotten to chat with him yet, but I imagine it's going to be a very lively conversation. I'm very <laughs> excited, especially because he agreed to let me put some of it in the book, if that works out. <laughs> well, that's great. In addition to being great observers, I think that the best entrepreneurs want to do more than make money. They want to find ways to give back. So I love to ask people before we let you go, what is it that you do to serve the greater good? Oh, my goodness. I... So flat out, 10% of my time or income every month goes to charity in some way, shape, or form. That's just a personal ethic that I live by. I don't say everyone has to do it, but that's me. Um, And so where that gets allocated depends on a lot of different things. Um, People approach me for pro bono work, and if it's something that fits where my heart's at at the time or where I have the time, then great, I do it. So I guess two things that I'll highlight. And one, I have to say, I'm so freaking proud to be involved in. Uh, Last year, uh, March of 2015, I did six days of pro bono training for the national campaign team members for the Wounded Warrior Project. And these men and women have been through horrors that I hope no one else ever has to experience. But I worked with them within a three-day period from never having told their stories out loud to having it organized into a three-minute efficient story with a plug for Wounded Warrior at the end. And to see these men and women transform literally in front of my eyes and me sharing some trauma that I've been through with them and how we just made this all together was beyond phenomenal. And one of those men is now the face of a national campaign. And I'm at bus stops or at the airport and his face is right there. And it is, I'm so proud of him. I'm so proud of all these men and women. And to be involved with that was just awesome. That is, that is great. And thank you for doing things to give back and for giving so much of your time to helping others. It's, uh, you know, it's fun. I get, I'm working right now with a nonprofit that does work on women's empowerment and women in business uh, for microfinance loans in Africa. And we're in conversation right now about me having a two week, you know, uh, pro bono trip to Kenya at the end of May. And I'm really excited to see where that can go because that's another cause near and dear to me. Well, and so many people think, well, you have to wait till you're wealthy before you can start giving back. Or when I get really successful, I'll give back. Or they look at what Zuckerberg or Gates have done, giving you know their fortunes away when they die. But the, the reality is, I don't think you have to wait till the end of the journey or until you've reached some pinnacle of success. I think you can start giving, whether it's time or money 
or good vibes early on. When I launched my speaking career, I started, uh, my family started a giving fund where we give a small couple of percentage points to two different funds at two different children's hospitals for research for kids born with cranial facial abnormalities. And then in the month of February, when this will air, we also ask listeners of this show and friends and others to donate, whether it's $5, $10, $25, $500, whatever they can afford to the causes at either Dell Children's Hospital in Austin or San Diego Rady Children's Hospital for kids born with cranial facial abnormalities. Our youngest daughter was born, the bones in her skull were fused together, and she had to have her entire skull rebuilt at age six months old. And I will tell you, that was scary. But when I started my speaking business, it was empowering. I mean, she's fine now. She's 14, and her head is beautiful, and it grew back just fine. The bones did. The head never went anywhere. But <laughs> but the, the fact is, it's empowering just to give $50 or $100. But we've done this now for seven or eight years. And between the two hospitals, it's, it's pushing in on $60,000 between what we've given and what we've fundraised. And when you look at that, you think, well, I didn't grow up in a family who has their name on the wall of a hospital. And I call it compounded generosity. If you do little things every week, every month, every year, and just let them add up over a lifetime, you're going to make a difference. And Jill, it's very clear that with what you're doing, you're already at such a young age making a huge difference. That's very gracious of you to say. And I love uh, the compounded um, in, in compounded influence. Is that what you said? Compounded, compounded, compounded generosity. I, th- I made yeah, that up. That's, yes, my, that's yes. my word. The words. Oh, that's trademark that. That's brilliant. <laughs> I love it. I'm actually going to be giving a TEDx talk later this year titled Compounded Generosity. I, I, oh, I, I just let that out of the bag. Right? Uh, that's so freaking awesome. And I think, again, we, a lot of people think it has to be this big grand gesture. And even, you know, to tie it back to cool things entrepreneurs do, there's a lot of uncool things we have to do too. And sometimes we're looking at choices. Oh, do I want to do a book or do I want to do a video or do I take this client or do I not take this client? But a lot of small decisions you make over time compound into what is a miraculous business. And a lot of times we don't think of taking opportunities because they're not big enough or we're not going to do, you know, we're not ready to take these on right now. So we shouldn't be honest about that. It's what happens over time. It's a conglomeration of things. And to take that same approach to giving back, I think, is so, so important. So, Jill, it has been delightful having you here on the show. And I know that some of the people listening are going to want to know more about you, about your business, about your speaking, about the upcoming book that's going to be a huge bestseller. People are going to want to track you, follow you on social media. So if someone's listening and they think, I got to find Jill Scheffelbein, where do they find you? You do have to find me because I'm worth it, darn it. Um, You can find me. If you're curious about what I write, I am a columnist for entrepreneur.com, so you can find me there. My website is thedynamiccommunicator.com. Email jill at thedynamiccommunicator.com. Twitter at dynamicjill. And in 2017, somehow, some way, 2018 maybe, but I hope not, look for The Communication Equation in stores everywhere because it's going to happen. (laughs) Awesome. All right. Well, Jill, again, thank you so much for being on the show. And for those of you who hung with us and listened in, thank you because we wouldn't have a show if you weren't listening. If you're interested in the Cool Things Project, you don't want to miss out on this. I get a lot of inquiries from people and then a lot of people say, yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. They never pull the the trigger. Now is the time to join the Cool Things Project, which is our little community 
of those who are solopreneurs or, or want to be solopreneurs. So check that out at TomSinger.com. If you pull down the About menu, you'll see a thing that says Group Coaching Project and all the information you need and a way to sign up is right there. So thank you very much again, Jill, for being here. For those of you who listened, we're going to be back in a couple of days with another interview with somebody just as cool as Jill Shufflebein. But in the meantime, go on out there and have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at, at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.